Hey everyone, welcome to the Happy Flosser podcast. My name is Billy Lunt. I am your host, and I am here to talk to you about all things dental hygiene to support you on your journey through the dental hygiene program. Welcome, so glad to have you. Dental anomalies are defined as a deviation from what we would consider to be normal. There are many causative factors related to dental anomalies, and most of them can be connected to an intrinsic factor or embryonic development. Dental anomalies are abnormalities or discrepancies that are considered deviations of a dental tissue origin. Some dental anomalies may be caused by extrinsic factors as well. The dental hygienists are expected to be able to recognize the absence, the deformity, or the deviations that are presented in the clinical setting. You should also know the factors that contribute to these clinical presentations. In this episode, we will discuss many of the most common dental anomalies, as well as the cause, origin, clinical presentation, and effects on dental health. Let's take a look at dental anomalies. These are the deviations or the abnormalities that we can see in the mouth clinically or on radiographs that we take. And these come or arise from either intrinsic situations or extrinsic situations. So an intrinsic factor would be hereditary. Maybe it's a genetic situation or some metabolic dysfunction, something that occurred in utero. An extrinsic factor would be a physical or chemical trauma, some type of nutritional deficiency, stress, or antibiotic. Now, these dental anomalies occur more frequently in specific areas of the mouth. They're more common on the permanent dentition, and they're more common on the maxilla than they are on the mandible. Let's talk about some of the deviations that you can see in the size and shape of the crowns of the teeth, starting with microdontia. So sometimes the crown of the tooth can be smaller than what would be considered normal. And so this is an anomaly and it's called microdontia. When you look at microdontia on a radiograph, you can see distinctly that there is a discrepancy in the size of the tooth and sometimes the overall size of the tooth, including the root. And then the opposite of microdontia would be macrodontia, where the crown of the tooth presents larger than what you would see normally. And this is, when I say normally, when you're comparing it to the contralateral tooth. So if you're looking at the size and shape of tooth number eight, the maxillary right central incisor, and then you compare it to number nine, those two teeth should be relatively the same size. So if you have a discrepancy in the size of one specific tooth, of those same tooth types, you would have a dental anomaly for that patient. So with macrodontia, you will see that the tooth is much wider and larger than the contralateral tooth of the same tooth type. And then we have anodontia, which is a congenital absence of teeth, 
Now you can have partial anodontia, which is a little more common, and that is, involves one or more teeth in the dentition would be missing. And it's often referred to, partial anodontia is typically called congenitally missing, and you'll hear that term used quite frequently. And this has a really strong genetic predisposition or family tendency. And then a little bit more rare is total anodontia. And this is the congenital absence of the entire primary deciduous or permanent dentition. And this is extremely rare. It's usually associated with a congenital disorder that affects other aspects of the body as well, like the hair and the nails, the sweat glands, and things like that. So that would be total anodontia. Now, partial anodontia, which is more common, like I said, and called congenitally missing, that is, you know, missing a tooth or two, the most common um, teeth to be congenitally missing or to have or present with partial anodontia would be the third molars. And the maxillary are more common than the mandibular to be congenitally missing. Now, the other two more common teeth to see partial anodontia with is the maxillary lateral incisors, as well as the mandibular second premolars. And those are important key things that you want to know. Those typically show up as board questions. Now let's talk about hyperdontia or supernumerary. Supernumerary teeth are teeth that form in excess of normal, so you have the opposite of anodontia. So hyperdontia is where you have additional teeth, a supernumerary tooth, and this occurs in a very small percentage of the population. It is definitely more common in the permanent dentition, and it's important to know that about 90% of supernumerary teeth occur in the maxillary arch. Now, a mesiodens is a supernumerary tooth that is seen specifically between the maxillary anterior teeth, and it forms between the central incisors. Now, the term distomolar is used when you have a supernumerary tooth in the region of the third molar or the wisdom tooth area. And this can also be called paramolars or fourth molars. So that is a specific term used for the area around the wisdom tooth region when there's a supernumerary tooth present. Now, sometimes supernumerary teeth can occur in the mandibular premolar region, and that is most common on the mandibular arch. So that's kind of a key feature that's a discrepancy. Let's talk about abnormal crown morphology. So now that you've learned all about tooth morphology, you can now apply what is considered normal when you're looking for dental anomalies for abnormal uh, morphology of those teeth. Now, maxillary third molars have the most variability in their crown shape. So you're going to see anomalies in the morphology of these crown most frequently. Now, the most common anomaly in the anterior permanent dentition is the peg lateral. It is on the crown of the maxillary lateral incisors, 
And instead of developing from three facial lobes, that particular type of lateral develops from one facial lobe. So it will be much smaller in size. So it will be a microdontia crown. It's typically conical in shape and it will usually taper to a blunt point. And this definitely runs in families. This is a genetic predisposition and you can see it among families. Now gemination, which is an abnormal crown morphology where we also call it twinning, where a single tooth germ will split completely or partially forming two crowns. Now this, this will appear as macrodontia because the crown will appear double the size and width, but it will have a single root and it's not split down the root area. So this is called gemination and it will have a single pulp cavity. When we look at abnormal crown morphology and we see fusion, now fusion is the union of two adjacent tooth germs and the crown is also double the size and width. But this feature has fused roots. So when you look radiographically, you will see that there's more than one pulp canal. And this will help you make the determination of whether or not you're, you're looking at gemination or fusion. Gemination is the joining of two um, tooth germs and it creates a single root. And fusion is two adjacent tooth germs, but it has fused roots. So there is more than one pulp canal. And you usually need a radiograph to make that distinction. So a review, the way to tell the difference between fusion and gemination is with the radiographs. One root, one pulp canal is gemination. Two roots, two pulp canals is fusion. Sometimes a dental anomaly that will show up is an abnormal crown morphology. An enamel pearl is a small round nodule of enamel with a tiny core of dentin. It's usually located apically to the CEJ, and oftentimes it's found in the furcation areas. And since they're covered with enamel, they do not have a periodontal ligament attachment. Uh, therefore, they're more susceptible to periodontal disease. And you'll notice them on the radiograph as a white radio-opaque area. And you'll typically see them around the third molars, but you can see them uh, on any of the molars. This is an enamel pearl. Another abnormal crown morphology is called torodontia. Now, torodontia is a condition where the molar teeth have an enlarged pulp chamber in a vertical dimension, and it's very expansive onto the roots. And as a result, the pulp and the frication of the tooth is moved apically down the root. This creates an elongated crown with a really large pulp chamber and really short roots. It's described as bull-like teeth, and it's most commonly found in the permanent dentition, although the term is used towards molar teeth, and in some cases, torodontism seems to follow an autosomal dominant type of inheritance or genetic predisposition. It's associated with ameliogenesis imperfecta, 
on a dental radiograph, an involved tooth would have a very long rectangular shape with an apical taper. The pulp chamber is extremely large and the furcation may only be a few millimeters long. So it's a really long root trunk on these teeth that have torodontia. An additional abnormal crown morphology is called Hutchinson's incisors. And this condition is noticed when permanent teeth come into the dentition. The incisors and the molars take on a peg-like appearance. They're widely spaced and may have weakened enamel. And the cause of Hutchinson's incisors is from syphilis that's transmitted from a mother to the fetus through the placenta. And these children that have syphilis transmitted in this way have numerous developmental abnormalities. The features of Hutchinson's incisors is that they are very peg-shaped with a crescent-shaped notch right in the incisal third of the tooth. You may notice thinning or discoloration of the enamel. The teeth appear much smaller and they have wider spacing. An additional abnormal crown morphology that you're going to see that is caused by congenital syphilis is called mulberry molars. And these teeth are functional, but they are characterized by a dwarfed molar with cusps that are covered with berry-like uh, enamel growths. So the occlusal table looks much different than normal crown morphology. It's important to remember that enamel is produced in a small segment of the developmental process. And ameliablasts produce the enamel, and they're susceptible to any changes in the environment through that process of enamel production. Any dysfunction of those ameliablasts may occur, resulting in changes of how the enamel presents itself in the permanent dentition. Those developmental defects of enamel can range from any slight abnormalities by tooth color, shape, and size to an absolute absence of enamel. Let's move on and talk about abnormal root morphology that can occur in the dentition, starting with dilaceration or flexion. Now, in order for a tooth to be noted as having dilaceration, it must be severe or a sharp bend in that root in order for it to be truly dilaceration. Now, flexion of the root occurs later in the root development, and it involves just the root. The bend is not as severe as dilaceration. So dilaceration has a very sharp bend in the root and can occur at about the middle third. And you'll, it almost looks like a bend at the knee if you were relating it to your leg. But flexion is just a small bend that happens in the apical third of the root. Dens in dente is another abnormal root morphology, which is defined as tooth within a tooth. And this occurs when the outer surface of the tooth crown invaginates or turns inward. Now, the clinical appearance of dens in dente is a deep crevice, primarily in the cingulum region of the incisors. 
Sometimes this can present as a talon cusp, which is an extra cusp or a tubercle that is found in the molars. So with anterior teeth, you have the dens invaginatus or the tooth within a tooth. And in the posterior regions, primarily it looks like there's an extra cusp coming up in the central fossa of the tooth. And this can sometimes present problems for patients in occlusion. An additional abnormal root morphology is known as concrescence. And concrescence occurs when adjacent teeth are fused right at the cementum. And the teeth that are involved are usually separate teeth, but often become joined only after eruption due to their close proximity of the roots. And you often can see this, especially in the area of the wisdom teeth. Because there's a lack of space for each of the teeth to develop individually, this can sometimes join and there'll be a bonding of the cementum together. It's important to note that the union of the teeth by dentin or enamel is characterized as fusion. So by cementum, it's called concrescence. So a memory tip for you, gemination, one bud, has one tooth and one canal. Fusion is two buds, two teeth, and is joined within the dentinal unit. Concrescence is two buds with two teeth that are joined at the cementum. Sometimes an abnormal root morphology that can be present in the mouth is called dwarfed roots. And this occurs when your patient has normal-sized crowns clinically and have abnormally short roots when you look at the radiographs. The crowns have a greater incisal cervical convexity or labial surface. And this is different from torodontia, which has those elongated crowns. So this helps you make the distinction between the two. Hypercementosis is seen on a radiograph, and this shows excessive cementum right on the apical surfaces of the roots, causing them to appear very bulbous. It's a deposit of excessive cementum right at the apex, and it's usually associated with the permanent molars. It typically will occur after eruption and may involve some kind of trauma, metabolic dysfunction, or chronic inflammation of the pulp chamber. Supernumerary roots are considered an abnormal root morphology, and there are some teeth that have a higher risk of presenting with a supernumerary root. This usually occurs in teeth where the roots form after birth, so it could be considered to be a trauma or caused by pressure or metabolic disease. We've talked about some abnormal crown formations, and we've talked about some abnormal root formations that can sometimes present in the clinical setting. Now let's talk about some of the developmental anomalies of the tooth structures, starting with enamel dysplasia. Now enamel dysplasia is a broad term that we use to describe abnormal enamel development. And there are two types of abnormal enamel development. Enamel hypoplasia is any condition that inhibits enamel formation. And enamel hypocalcification 
is a condition that inhibits the calcification of the enamel once it's formed. Ameliogenesis imperfecta is a hereditary disorder that affects the enamel and typically both dentitions. And it can have a variety of clinical profiles. It can range from a complete absence of enamel to enamel that was deposited but failed to mineralize. And it really depends on the stage of the enamel formation when the disturbance occurred. And when there is enamel present in ameliogenesis imperfecta, it typically is very thin and it's stained in various shades of yellow. Some clinical profiles of ameliogenesis imperfecta can show snow-capped uh, uniform whitening of the incisal edges. And some clinical um, presentations of ameliogenesis imperfecta can show more dramatic pitting of the enamel. It's important to know that if your patient presents with ameliogenesis imperfecta, that those teeth, because of the lack of proper enamel formation, they are especially prone to attrition and caries, and they are contraindicated to the use of any whitening products. Another enamel dysplasia that can present in the clinical setting is enamel fluorosis. And enamel fluorosis is caused by ingestion of high fluoride levels during the enamel calcification process. And clinically, it can appear as small white flecks or large opaque areas, all the way to brown spots with pits. Now, molted enamel, this type of presentation, the enamel is seen as a result from fluoride ingestion to an extreme nature. A type of enamel dysplasia that's due to high fever, hypoplasia, uh, the enamel appears very pitted and brown, and it typically will affect specific crowns that were developing at the time that that high fever occurred. So it's important to gather a history from your patient to provide yourself with the opportunity to have a complete and clear diagnosis when you see this type of uh, pitting and staining in the affected teeth. And you'll see it in more than one tooth. Think about how the eruption process occurs. There's bilateral development going on at the same time. So when you see a hypoplasia area occur on a tooth, check the contralateral tooth and then confirm with the patient the history of potential high fever during that enamel formation. And parents are usually pretty good at providing this type of information to complete the puzzle and correctly diagnose. At times, you'll have focal enamel hypoplasia, and this condition is also called Turner's tooth. It typically will affect just a single tooth, and it can be caused by trauma or infection during the development process. So if you had a patient who had an abscessed molar on their primary dentition, you may see a focal enamel hypoplasia area show up on the permanent tooth that replaces that particular tooth. Again, important to understand history. 
Next, let's talk about the developmental anomalies of tooth structures that are connected to the dentin. Dentin dysplasia is a broad term that we use to describe abnormal dentin formation. Now, dentinogenesis imperfecta is a hereditary condition that affects the dentin formation of both dentitions. And the patient's teeth will have a brownish, opalescent hue, which is a primary characteristic of dentinogenesis imperfecta. The teeth will have a gray look to them. And when you look at the radiographs, they will show a partial or total absence of pulp canals. Now, this is an important component of proper diagnosis of dentinogenesis imperfecta. Tetracycline staining can occur when tetracyclines are taken during pregnancy or by an infant or child during the tooth development process. During formation and calcification, tetracycline can be incorporated right into the dentin. Now, the clinical appearance of tetracycline staining can be discoloring, ranging from a yellow to brown to grayish blue. And it can sometimes be in bands of different colors based on the process of the development of the actual tooth. And this is why tetracycline is contraindicated for pregnant women and children and infants due to the enamel formation. Ankylosed teeth is a term that describes a tooth that is fused to the surrounding bone. And this prevents the exfoliation process from occurring. When there's a retained deciduous tooth, it tends to become affected with ankylosis if there is not a successor. So when there's a congenitally missing tooth, you may see an ankylosed tooth occur in one of those deciduous teeth. You can tell on a radiograph when there's a retained deciduous molar that's ankylosed. The tooth has no periodontal ligament, so the cementum actually fuses to the alveolar bone in an ankylosed tooth. Are you looking for study sheets? I've created study sheets that cover the content of this episode. If you're interested or that's something that's going to help you on your learning journey, you can click the link listed right in the description of these show notes. Happy studying! It's important to know dental anomalies, and these are often questions that show up on your board exams. So take the time to put them in different categories, understand their clinical presentations, how they manifest, what the conditions look like, and how you'd be able to properly diagnose it, whether or not you need a radiograph or just clinical examination will provide you with the proper diagnosis. So you wanna separate these into different categories. And I tried to present them in that way in this podcast to help you categorize the information because you want to have a good understanding of this information so that you can accurately answer those questions that you get on your board exams. Thank you so much for listening today. Join me next time where we are going to talk about the primary dentition. We'll review the characteristics and functional significance of the primary dentition, as well as how things relate to form and function and the occlusal classifications. You won't want to miss it. (music) 
I would invite you to ask any questions at all that you need answered. Sometimes questions come up when you're listening to this podcast. If you have a question, most likely someone else has the very same question. I'd be happy to answer it and would probably share it in a future podcast.